This is the 4 Nail written all over it podcast. Hello once again, welcome back to the 4 Nail written all over it podcast. Happy Friday to everybody listening, not least Ollie who joins me again. How are you mate? I am fantastic. Personally I'm not fantastic but in terms of life I'm fantastic. Oh, that's very elusive. Oh, I know. You, well, you, I don't, not everyone needs to know the troubles that I've had with motor vehicles in the last mm. 48, 72 hours. But it's, let's aren't. just say it's lucky that we can do this online. Yes. We'd have a bit of a problem otherwise. Um, <laughs> but, but people who aren't privy to the Fauna written all over it, board of directors, will, um, yeah, li- li- leave it at that. And we'll, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll very swiftly <laughs> move. We'll motor on, shall we? Let's motor on. <laughs> Um, cuts me deep that yeah it really, it really cuts me we had some really sad news today and that is that the legendary bbc commentator john motson passed away earlier on at the age of 77 i'm lucky enough to just about remember john's legendary commentary on match of the day before he retired in 2018 and pompey fans of a certain age will all remember him for the famous darren anderton it's their line on that famous fa cup run in 1992 he will be sorely missed and he's defined a, a generation of football commentary with his fantastic vocals it's a free game week that we've got to look forward to during this episode. Before we get stuck in, it's time for a rudimentary shout out. This week, we're saying a big hello and thank you to Harvey Child. He messaged in and said, good morning, Andrew. Pompey <laughs> fan living in Cambridge. Yesterday was a tight game, but we should have taken our chances. Doors was quality, but lacked an attacking threat. Nonetheless, win or lose, up the blues. Love the content, lads. Keep it up. So thank you for your message, Harvey. Much appreciated. And that brings us nicely on to a chat about last weekend, Ollie. That Colby Bishop miss... In the end, it's the difference maker, sadly, in terms of three points. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's that's all it is, really, isn't it? Three points, it all, and it actually turned out to be just the one solemn point. Yeah, and how many times are we going to say on this podcast, draws are terrible? They're, you know, they're an absolute waste of time. I mean, look at this, one-on-one with a keeper. Oh, my word. That is a disgrace. For the just, uh, for the listeners, I've uh, just watched yeah. the video of it happening from behind the goal. And for someone who hits the target so regularly, mm. when it's one-on-one with the keeper, yeah, it's bouncing a little bit and all those kind of things, but you expect them to hit the target really there. Or even do something with it. You've got space. You had time. You could have taken the keeper on. You could have. There's loads of ways. He, I mean, in his head, he'll be playing it back over and over and over and over. But then equally to that, you should see, if you want to see a miss, you should see Mares is miss with City versus Aston Villa. That is horrendous. And I mean, that bloke's paid hundreds of thousands of pounds a week to play football. So you can't really expect Colby to put every single one of them away. I would expect him to try and hit the target. <laughs> and I think he was trying, but it's just one of those things, isn't it? And Sometimes when the luck isn't going your way, it's not going your way. And I think this season is is one of those years for us, really. I think that there's been a lot of occasions where the wins, the draws could have been wins. I think there's a lot of occasions where draws could have been losses as well, to be fair. But, you know, we, we've had probably losses that could have been draws and, and all sorts. It's just been one of those years for us where it hasn't quite clicked. It hasn't quite got together. And that's just a, almost like one of those laughable moments where you go, huh, another, what this is what Pompey do, you know. And it's a, it's a shame, but... You know, we we move on. We've got a we've got a week ahead, haven't we? It's not all solemn and gloom and doom. Let's let's think forward to the positivity of the future. 
We should, absolutely. It's it's one of those, isn't it, where you don't want it to fall to anyone else other than Colby Bishop at that moment in time and the amount of times he's bad and people have said it, he's you know, he's he's allowed to have an off day. Of course, that's not to say that the home side didn't have their chances either. Lincoln came very close on a number of occasions, um and they hit the bar too, and, and for a team that are still yet to lose at home this season, whichever way you look at it, and as 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 and as frustrating as it is to say. Lincoln are a side yet to be beaten at home. Plymouth, Ipswich, Sheffield Wednesday, all teams that have been there and only managed to draw. And perhaps it's even more gutting when you consider how close Colby came to getting us that win. Yeah, it is one of those. But then you also could look at it from the perspective of, you know, we, we've gone away from home against a side that have been formidable in their own home. Mm. And we've come away with the equal best result that any other club has done this season at that ground. So... Not all's lost. You know, I, I can't imagine they're going to go a whole season undefeated at home. They're going to lose at some point. It's, it's just the way that football works, unfortunately. At one point, you're going to have an off day. It would be an incredible run if they managed to, to, to keep that to the end of the season. But it's a shame we weren't able to do that. But like you said, equally, they hit the bar. They had a couple of good one-on-ones themselves. They put wide. So, you know, it, it could have easily been, you know, if it wasn't one all, it could have been two all, it could have been three two them, it could have been two one them, it could have been two one us. You know, that there's loads of ways we could look at it and it's it, we've just got to put it down to it's one of those days. We got a result in the end and that's good enough for us. Joe Morrell continues to be such a key standout for us, particularly post-World Cup. He's absolutely bossed it recently. He looks well up for it. He's getting the crowd going every game. He's aggressive with a challenge. Leader mentality and, and is certainly what we need more of, Ollie. Now we know that Pack's out for a considerable time. We're expecting it to be four to six weeks or so. So almost the rest of the season, really. Yeah, I mean, I think we're still playing well without Pack. I think, obviously, he brings that experience and that calmness to the team, which is obviously a massive benefit. Um, but we do seem to still be playing good football without him. I mean, we've been plagued with injuries for the majority of this year. We've got, you know, Curtis has been out for a while. We've had Mingi out. We've had um, Pax now been out for a while as well. It's It's been flipping around a little bit in terms of the squad we've had available for games, and it's been a little bit makeshift. So, you know, we, we've got a lot of good players. We've got, you know, strangely, we've got quite a lot of strength in depth in a lot of areas. Mm. We, we do, especially in the attacking areas, we seem to be very good going forward in terms of the, the player, the players we've got to bring on, you know, whether it's Jacobs or um, Hackett Fairchild or, you know, we've got Owen Dale, Ronan Curtis when he's back fit, Colby Bishop, um, Dane Scarlett. There's a whole, a whole pigger. Yeah, there's a whole list of attacking players there that are out and out attacking players that can create and co- cause problems for defences. And the, Did you mentioned Paddy Lane. Paddy Lane, yeah, yeah, definitely. A Paddy Lane should be in there. Sorry, I didn't mention him. Um, yeah, even, sorry, Paddy. Even in fairness, like uh, you know, Swanson getting forward, putting balls in the box. You've got Ogilvy doing the same on the left side. You know, we we've got a lot of very good quality attacking players in this side. If we can get them playing together well, the area that I see is still being what at our weakest is at the back you know I think Matt Macy has been a fantastic signing for us mm-hmm. um, you know I think he's a great player and and hopefully we, we're able to keep him um, for a longer period of time we seem to run through keepers quite quickly don't we that's a, that's one of our big issues we we get a keeper and we get rid of him we get another one we get rid of him we don't, we don't really ever sit on one and actually get them into the team and get them into the squad because I think a keeper is such a vital position it's a very, very strange position being a keeper because obviously 
I've said this before, you're the only bloke who can pick up a ball with your hands. Um, but the whole training process, everything's a bit different. But also when you're a keeper, you can see everything in front of you. You know, there's a lot of keepers, you know, good keepers are going to be captains. Mm. You know, so... Lloris and Courtois, for example, yeah. Yeah, the Gaia at United was for a while, I think, as well. Um, you know, there's... And I think when you've got that view of a pitch and you see everything that's going on in front of you, you know, you're, you're very vocal normally and the defence are very reliant on you to mm. get them organised, get them in place, tell them when they're, you know, when they're messed up and, and give them that education to go, you should have been on that man, why wouldn't you want to, you know... Or you should be clearing it there. What are you waiting for? It's not your job to call my name. It's my job. And, and, and they can be very directive and they can they can tell defence where to be, what to be, what, what to look out for, etc., etc. And they can see patterns in the game because it's right in front of them. Um, so having a good keeper is a real cornerstone of having a good you know defensive line, I think. But I also feel that we don't have a lot of strength and depth in our centre-back positions. You know, I think, mm. I think Towler... Um, Towler? Towler? Yeah, Towler's um, centre-back. I think Towler's come in, he, for some reason that didn't sit right in my head, that name, but yeah, Towler's come in and I think I think he's been great. You know, I think he's been really good for us. Um, we've had that young lad come over from United. What, Dijon. What Dijon. I personally haven't seen that much of him yet to make a, a full... Uh, no, we haven't. We haven't seen a lot synopsis. of him. Um, but it'd be good to see him, you know... I, We've obviously still got Raggett playing for us. Um, I say that like he's going to leave, but uh, one can only hope. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think he'll play for us next season, personally. Raggett. No, I think he's got one year left on his contract, and I think he'll end up at somewhere like Port Vale under Daryl Clark or somewhere that, that kind of suits the proper kind of out-and-out playing with, you know being able to deal with every ball that gets lumped up in the air towards you, but doesn't need to be to particularly pedantic with their feet, which he isn't. Um, and I, th I think he, he'd really suit a, a team such as Port Vale in, in this League One division. I, I don't think he has the capabilities or the facilities at the age that he is now, because he's getting on, Sean Raggett. Um, I think he's had his day. I think he's passed it. And I think actually the the option that, that and I think the only reason why he still is in Massinio's lineups and and I don't know whether John would admit this himself, but my analysis of it would be that the only reason why Raggett is still in there is a to provide a little bit of experience in terms of having been a captain and having you know hundreds of VFL games to his name. Also, the unavailability that you're talking about in terms of you can't really have a, a makeshift back three without two and out cent out and out centre backs, and we know what happens when Ogilvy tries to come and cover centre back; it just doesn't quite work for us. So, I think when Swanson slash Rafferty and Rafferty brings you that experience that you need in your back line, but Swanson's also excellent. I'm, I literally I would go either way on that one for me. I mean, I, I don't know if they obviously can't both play at the same time, but that that position, I know Swanson's out injured for a slightly lengthier period than initially thought with a, a groin problem. Rafferty's now back in and he's fitted back into the side like a glove, as I've said. Um, and then you've obviously got the centre-back pairing of what is currently Towler and Raggett, but what could quite easily be Dijon Bernard and Towler. And then you'd have Ogilvy on the left-hand side, which provides you that, um, you know, provides you a bit, a bit of know-how, know knowledge, experience, but also being a 
quality enough to actually merit having a, a place in in the eleven. And then you, you look at kind of, you know, you, you've got Denver Hume, who's also an option back there, um, and and even young Liam Vincent, who I know is out on loan, but he, he's also a really bright spark that we have at the club. So it's not like we're relying on Raggett as our only defensive option. It's just at the moment in the fold, he is the only real fit centre-back having left, uh, let Morrison go off to his retirement home in Cambridge. You can't really... Well, he's throwing it. That's where yeah. he's, about, he's about 37 now is where he's going to retire. Um, yeah, I agree. I, so, I think it's, a, I think it's, a, it's interesting um, listening to it, really, about the points you make there about our, you know, our, our back three sort of in the centre-back situation where we've kind of got those three players... And it brings me back to, I just sat there thinking while you were talking about it, about when we had Matt Clark and mm. Burgess and... The golden the, ages. Uh, honestly, like, those boys in those... In those who else did we have there? Matt Clark. Um, yeah, Ender Stevens, Christian Burgess. Who was um, the other guy in the middle, at the back? Um, between... Um, who used to play with Burgess when Clark went to Brighton? Adam Webster. Was or was that before? No, that was before, probably. But, but what we're saying is, in, in essence, that we've had some very good technical centre-backs. Burgess was very good with his feet for a big lad. Um, mm. He was quite strong in the air. He was very agile. He was very fit. Um, you know, Matt Clark was exceptional for us that season. He was unbelievable. He, he was bring it forward like no he, one's he business, was, couldn't he? Yeah. He was great. Um, and we missed that. We mm. We haven't had that for the last two seasons, really, have we? And we still don't have it today, I don't think. And I think that's somewhere we really need to improve on next season because yeah. it, it, the issue I see is if we get an injury in that position, we don't really have anyone to cover it. Like you said, we've got a makeshift where we can chuck Ogilvy in there, but anyone who's a, you know, he's a left-back who wants to push forward, he's not a centre-back holding a line and yeah. commanding a defence. And, and obviously Clark field. Robertson as well, club captain, which we should mention there, but he's sort of long-term injury as well. Anyway, yeah. let's let's move things on. We've got so much to get through. We'll look ahead to what's to come for us this week in a Pompey way, shape and form, all three of those things. Whichever way you look at it, it, it has to be a battering this weekend and next weekend. Um, I, I feel like Tuesday might be a bit of a free hit considering how well, Bolton are going recently and coming off the back of a win that took them to Wembley midweek against, well, it was yesterday, actually, at the time of recording against Accrington. A league defeat to Wickham separates two back-to-back 5-0 wins against Peterborough away and MK Dons at home. Cheltenham lost to Plymouth in the week. That meant Argyle are off to Wembley. Um, and that twinned with the disappointment of a 4-0 loss to a Barnsley side that Pompey held their own against a few weeks ago that we mentioned just a couple of short episodes ago on the podcast. For me, Ollie, as I just said, it has to be a big weekend, this one at, at Fratton incoming. Yeah, we, we're in desperate need of a win, aren't we? Let's face it. We, we've we had a lot of... We had a good little bounce at the start of the senior era with those two wins back-to-back, which were great wins for us. Um, and then we've had some tough matches. Let's not get that wrong. You know, we've had... Plymouth two away. wins, two draws, two losses under John so far. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not really good enough. 33% win rate isn't mm. good. Uh, you need to be 50%. We should have won another game in there, really, at least. Uh, arguably, Peterborough could have been that game. But again, you know, you look at the teams we play. Peterborough are a very good side. Plymouth are a very good side. Lincoln have had a formidable record at home this year. You know, you can't expect to go and win every game. The, the problem is when we are drawing these games, we're giving ourselves the opportunity to win. Mm. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to turn those draws into wins. And we've said that so many times. Um, I'd like to see what happens this weekend in terms of the way we set up, the way we play. I think that, like you said, it's been quite dynamic so far. 
Um, and hopefully we can continue that. I just think we need a little run of luck where we get a few players back from injury um, and we get a couple of things go our way in games, you know, where we don't get a, a random offside that plagues a goal or whatever it might well be, that we seem to have these little snippets happening from time to time to us that just aren't really what we need, you know, in that moment. We need a little bit of help along that way. Um, so it'd be nice to see what, what we kind of set up like and how we, we push ourselves. Um going into this game and I think there's a good opportunity for three points there for us and I think the fans want it as well um, otherwise you're going to start to see again I think Fratton Park this time around if it does start to go sour will go very quickly um, and no one wants to see that No, nobody wants to see that Between I think the expectations between now and the end of the season are very low but we don't want to see a point where people are sat there next season thinking about their season tickets or thinking about going to games going don't really want to go to watch that don't want to spend my money going to see that and then, then that'll be a problem for the club because if we get into that position, we've we've always had a very good fan base, which is one of the reasons why we're such a big club at our level. You know, having as many season tickets as we have, having as many fans travel away with us as we have, you know, all those things add to revenue for a club. And, you know, if we lo- start to lose that, the core of the club goes and then we get a real issue on our hands. Um, I think it'll be almost an Eisner out at that point if we... Uh, if we have a, another situation like we did with Cowley and, and Jacket. There were there are some out there right now that would say they're very much Eisner out already. So there you go. Uh, the title of this week's episode will probably be something like Is the Season Over? We we have this we had this discussion on 4 0 Sunday Live last weekend, and it seems that and you mentioned there that the kind of the low expectations for the run in, it seems that most of the Pompey fan base and even the more positive among us, our fathers, one of them, have resigned themselves to the fact that another League One season awaits us. And last week you said the best that Pompey can hope for is fifth. I said we needed to win four out of our next five. And even though we're still on track to do that, I was hoping to be for the win to come against Lincoln and allow the loss to be able to come against Bolton. How do you see it right now in your heart of hearts in terms of playoff hopes? I know you mentioned the, the low expectations. Are you keen to stress the fact that Nothing should be ruled out until it's mathematically impossible, or should we be realistic and pragmatic about the outcomes we can achieve this season with 16 games and 48 points to play for? Well, I mean, we need some form of realism. I mean, I think we could probably still win the league mathematically, which is not. Um, but we, yeah, I, I think we need to look at it from a positive perspective of what we can get because I still feel like, like we were saying, there's a lot of quality in this side. You know, Morel is an excellent centre mid. Um, We've still got Dale playing. We've got, um, oh, God's sake, we've got Paddy Lane. We've got um, Scarlett. We've got Piggott. We've got Bishop. We've got, you know, the, there's a lot of very strong Curtis, strong attacking players in there. Now, with that front line, we should be able to go out in this league and beat people and score goals. We not, and this is what I've been saying for the last sort of three, four weeks of this podcast is I'm waiting for us to beat someone 3 1, 4 1, 4 0, whatever it might well be. And I feel like that is there for the team to go get. Mm. Um, it's just a matter of us getting to a point where I, I feel like we're, we're almost in a position that England were in 10 years ago. <laughs> we have all these very good players like your Gerrards, your Lampards and all those boys. I'm not saying they're the same level, obviously, but what I mean is that we've got some names in our team that should feel like they should be playing every week. However, when it comes to it, they can't play together particularly well. Uh, you know, it, in football, it's 11 men on the pitch. It's not one man for himself. Ronaldo's proved that, you know, in the recent years where yeah. he thinks he could take on the whole of United on his own. Do you and think it- we're over-trying with the Colby effort with 
reference to that. Are we trying way too hard to to get this run going now and it's just not happening for us? I just think that we just need a bit of confidence. The boys just need to start, you know, if we start working for one another, we need to get more. I just don't see us as a team at the minute. England went to the World Cup this year and this was, we said this in one of the first podcasts, that this is the first time we've seen England look like a proper team. You know, look like, not like a set of Manchester United players, Arsenal players, Chelsea players, Liverpool players, whoever it might well be, which is what it used to very much look like. It used to look like these little clans of people that know how to play together, but outside of those like three people, they couldn't actually play with anyone else on the team. Mm. But, and I kind of feel like we're almost a bit disjointed still at the moment. And the games I've been to see, obviously, I haven't seen many of late, so it's hard for me to really com- comment on that. But I just feel that we, with the players that we've got, if they start working for each other and they start looking for each other and they start playing as a team we should go out and batter people. And it really will be that simple. It will be that easy for them to do. They just need to gel together, need to start working for one another and realise that they are playing with each other. And if they do that, we will go out and batter teams. And I think that's what John Massinio tried to strip it back down to, wasn't it? And we we got ahead of steam there. We've, we've still got a lot of football to play. I've done some own work, Ollie. I've, I've done some some work on this and I've had a, had a look at the kind of the running and some of the running of the teams around us. I've said this before on the podcast and I've mentioned it to those around me that my personal view would be that we'll come up a couple of points short. And I would absolutely love it if we snuck in there and at least give ourselves something to get excited about for the last couple of weeks of the season. But then over two legs in Wembley, you know, I think all playoff excitement will be over relatively quickly. What I would say is that two of our next three games are winnable and games we must be coming away with three points from. Cheltenham are home, then away to a struggling Cambridge side with one win in 10 at the time recording. And that came against a pretty poor Oxford United side. What Pompey will be heavily reliant on if the charge is on, which it seems it very much isn't, and we mentioned the slow end to the season, will be results around them. And the current three teams separating Pompey and what is a large gap to the playoffs are Peterborough, Shrewsbury and Wickham, right? I've taken a look at each of these teams. Peterborough play Plymouth this weekend, a game that you can almost certainly say they will drop points in. They also have Derby at home in a few weeks' time but do have some so-called easy ones in there, such as a trip to Burton. We mentioned Lincoln's never an easy place to go. Um, and then Oxford at home. Shrewsbury have an unbelievably tough April. Now, this may seem unfair, but I think we can pretty much count Shrewsbury out of the running when when you think about it, because um, they're not going to come through the run of Charlton away, Peterborough at home, Barnsley away, Pompey at home, Plymouth at home, Bolton away and Sheffield Wednesday all back to back at home um, oh. with a max with maximum points all before the end of April. Far from it. And I could see us displacing Shrewsbury currently. Wickham is a different story. They've they've had some huge wins this season. All of their last five league games have been wins, including home wins against Derby and Bolton, not forgetting their 2-1 triumph over us in December. They've also beaten Ipswich at Adams Park this season too. Bear in mind, Gareth Ainsworth has gone to QPR this week. All of their next five games bar Shrewsbury are are against teams in the bottom half of League One. X to Fleetwood, Burton and Bristol Rovers. Wickham are three points off Barnsley in sixth, having played a game more. They only have to go to Portman Road, the Valley and play Barnsley at home before the so-called big hitters are out of the way. Everyone will be hoping for a Wickham capitulation at the loss of Ainsworth. Whether or not it happens remains to be seen. Finally, for the all-important Pompey run, within our next five games, we've obviously got Bolton at home, um, as we mentioned earlier, a Tuesday night trip to Barnsley, a home game at, uh, against Sheffield Wednesday. 
That aside, bar the occasional banana skin trip like Accrington away on a Tuesday, which I see as a very similar circumstance to Fleetwood away on a Tuesday, which we overcame professionally. So I'm in no doubt we could do it again. I think we could do it against Barnsley away uh, away from home, going off our last encounter against them at Fratton just a few weeks ago. Wednesday is, of course, similar to Plymouth in terms of how much of a struggle we all know it will be. Before we go to Derby for our penultimate game of the season on the 29th of April, we genuinely have a chance of winning 13 from 15 games. That's not me claiming we will do whatsoever, but this weekend against Cheltenham, we can pick up three points, as we've mentioned, and this is not me being big-headed about anything. Bolton at home, I think, will lose. Cambridge away, three points. Barnsley away could be a win, but we'll see. Barnsley have lost just as many games as we have at the time of recording. Wednesday at home is a loss. Then Accrington and Barnsley away are two wins. Uh, sorry, Accrington and Bristol Rovers away are two wins. Port Vale at home, tough. Draw is achievable, win is desirable. What a fantastic port season Port Vale are having, by the way. Forest Green at Fratton Park after that. And with no disrespect, there's 4 no written all over that. MK Don's away. I know we lost spectacularly at Fratton to them, which cap catalyzed Danny's departure. That one's a win. Morecambe at home is a win. Shrewsbury away is tough, but winnable. Oxford away has to be a win. The reverse of Accrington at home has to be a win. Then we go to Pride Park. Pompey could still do this. I don't want to come across as delusional or disrespectful. I know I'm predicting a near perfect end to the campaign for us. But if we get firing, as you said, score the goals, then the season isn't quite over for us. The the thing is, we've seen the start of this season. What we won five on the bounce, the start of the year, and and we've that, done yeah. we've done that. When we get hot, we seem to get hot quite quickly, and we we win a run of games. And then when we hit this little lull patch, we we did it for the last two three seasons. Really, we go through these patches of excellent football where we're you know we're threatening top of the league. All of a sudden, we start losing game after game after game. So th there's no reason why we can't go on a bit of a run. And I think the confidence will build. And like you said, we the the trouble is we need to go beat teams like Cheltenham. We need to go dispatch them. And we need to be looking at Bolton at home and going, yeah, well, Bolton are a bogey team for us this year. You know, we lost a couple of games away to them in, in the same week, obviously. But, you know, we we should be going to that game thinking we've got a chance of three points. Hmm. And we should be going to that game thinking almost along the lot. You know, we know where our weakness is. Our weaknesses are at the back. They're going to know that as well. They're going to play quick, fast football coming forward. They're going to counter us. They're going to work off us. And they're going to create space. And they're going to give themselves opportunities to score. We are going to most likely concede goals in the majority of the games between now and the end of the season. But we need to look at it from a perspective of like Man City do and like Liverpool do. I know Liverpool this season have been such a great example. But they go out to win, you know, score four goals. And that's what we need to do. We need to go out in these games and think we can score four goals and put a few past them and put the pressure on them and, and make them come at us and make them play football through us. Not just sit back, you know, not create enough, not put enough in the back of the net and then have a, a, a cheeky concede in the last sort of five, ten minutes of a game and draw it one all at home and everyone goes over a little bit disappointed going, oh, that was close, we deserve the win. Because that's what we've done all year. We've gone, oh, that's close, we deserve the win. We just need to go bang a load of goals in and, and, and beat team convincingly and, and show ourselves that we can do it because we have got the players to do it I've no doubt about that we've got the players going forward to score goals and that's that's a big thing to say about Pompey considering how we've been in the last few seasons you know we, we've been fairly toothless up until this point and I feel like we've got a very strong attacking line and we should be should be scoring goals so you wanted to talk about some wider footballing points to round us off didn't you yeah I did I wanted to discuss um, managers. And you want to discuss referees, so let's discuss them both. Let's have them both. Let's have... What, do you, what do you want to do first? 
I want to talk about managers. Go on. I want to voice an opinion that's probably, I don't know if it's unpopular or not. I feel that managers are treated poorly in football these days. I think they are hired and fired far too quickly. And there's not enough respect given to the time it takes to build a team. You know, you look at Massinho coming into us, um, that there's a chance if we don't get a run going by the end of the season, people will be calling for his head. And relatively, he hasn't had a transfer window. Yes, we had January, but he was halfway through it by the time he got there. Players were already bought for him before he arrived. So, you know, he hasn't really had a proper chance to make an impact on our squad. So it would be a shame if we are to lose him by the end of the season, if we go on a... We're not going to do that, are we? I, I if we lost the games between now and the end of the season, ended up towards the bottom end of the table, I think there's a big chance that everyone mm-hmm. in Fratton Park would be hating it, calling for his head. And I think they'd push the Eisners into a decision, which seems to be the way it's happened so far. The Eisners seem to be all about a popularity contest. from my Short-mindedness in modern football? I think so. I think so. I think you look at what Arteta did at Arsenal is a key. You know, he... Um, he went into an Arsenal squad that, I mean, in fairness, Arsenal have been, been for a bit of a cycle in the last few years because of the way that they built the, the Emirates Stadium. They Obviously, there's a big debt involved in that. They've been paying that back. They've been selling pay, players to help pay for it. They haven't been investing in the squad. So it, they had a tough few years. And obviously, Wenger left after being there for 15 years. And I think he saw what the writing was on the wall for that squad going forward financially. Um, and he made the right decision. But, you know... Arteta moved into that role. They paid Arsenal paid what like three million from City to release him as assistant manager under Pep, something like that. And he's come into there, and and within the first season, people are calling for his head. You know, they were down fourteenth, fifteenth from the table at certain points at the start of the year. And and I met, I know quite a few Arsenal fans that came up to me, goes, oh, he's rubbish. He needs to go. And now they're fighting for first place in the league and the first opportunity they've had to win the league in a very very long time. So it just goes to show that sometimes you need to wait for a manager to set himself in to build a squad around his ethos. And it's not easy to go, I'm going to transfer five players out and bring five players in. It's not as straightforward as that. You know, firstly, the players that we've got in contract need to want to leave or need to have offers on the table to leave. You know, you can't just go, we're selling you off, you go, see you later, mate. We can sack them and get rid of them, obviously, but that costs money. You have to pay their contracts out and things like that. And, you know, at our level in League One, there's not a, an influx of cash available for us just to keep chucking money at this squad. You know, we've thrown money, good money after bad for quite a few seasons now. Um, and I think we, we've we come out of that financial struggle and we need to give Massinho a bit more time. That's my opinion. You know, there's talks of Klopp being sacked. And that, in my eyes, is absolutely mental. He's done more for Liverpool as a manager than any manager has in recent years. And he's been there seven years. He's having one bad season and everyone's like, oh, we need to get rid of him. He's crap. He's passed it. Well, what a ridiculous statement that is. Like, how can you go from, you know, being winning the Champions League, winning the league, being the happiest things, best thing since sliced bread, oh, our teams are amazing, Klopp's amazing, we love him. And all of a sudden, everyone thinks he's a knobhead and he doesn't know what he's doing with his job. Similarly, with, with um, Frank Lampard and Tuchel, we spoke about that a little while ago. You know, when, when Tuchel took over Chelsea midway through that season, they won the Champions League that year. Now, it was Lampard who was keeping them in the Champions League up until that point. So Lampard got sacked after keeping them in the Champions League. They weren't out of anything. All of a sudden, Thomas Tuchel comes in, he wins the Champions League, and everyone goes, oh, he's amazing. Now, what's to say that Lampard wouldn't have done that for him? Like, what's to say that the squad aren't there to do that? How do you feel about Graham Potter at the minute at Chelsea? 
Yeah, it's another random one, isn't it? Everyone's, you know, I was away this weekend with one of my friends and um, I went to watch a game of football, actually. I went to watch Carlisle play football. It was, it was enthralling. They won 1-0 against Colchester. but Going up this season, by the looks of it. They're doing really well, yeah. They are doing really well. So hopefully long may that continue for Carlisle because that's who I was there supporting that day. Um, and, yeah, I, I just think we, we were chatting about it because um, a few of the guys up there were Chelsea fans and we were having a conversation and they were saying, oh, he's rubbish, he's this, he's that. But, yeah, at Brighton, he was, like the be- again, one of the best managers in the league at that point. And, you know, Pochettino, when he left Southampton and went to Tottenham, again, one of the best managers around, and he's done some amazing things. But then, all of a sudden, the fans start calling for a manager's head because they're not winning the league or top four or whatever. And they need to realise that it's a, it's a dog-eat-dog out there. And there's a real, you know, a real pressure on managers to to perform immediately and it, it's hard to do that when you don't have a squad that's yours i think that's yeah. a really difficult thing for potter he's walked into one transfer window of chelsea with an aging squad with not much ability not they've got a lot of ability don't get me wrong but that in comparably to the team you teams, know how much chelsea was spent in january just gone Oh, yeah, but that's because the owner's an absolute nightmare. He just throws money at things. He's like, oh, United want to buy this player, so I'm going to double his price and buy him. That's kind of the way it went for him. He was just throwing money at people. I I would hate to see how much money they spent. Do you have the figure? It's something like £350 million in January for Chelsea. That is bonkers, isn't it? You know, when you think about that, £350 million. If we had a million, that would make a huge difference to our squad. You know, 350 million. Could buy four Colby Bishops with a million quid. <laughs> no. No, two, two Colby. Uh, was he 250 or 500k? I think he was 500k, so two Colby Bishops. Two Colbys. One and, a, one and a quarter Marcus Harnesses, mate, if you were <laughs> being frivolous with your cash. So your your bottom line is that you, you think... But w- would it not be fair to say that when it is going really well, there's nothing better than being a football manager? Oh, yeah, I'm sure there there isn't. I think when it is going well, when like, you're Eddie Howe, for example. Yeah, I mean, look, I look at that. What that guy's achieved, you know, he's been phenomenal. He has been absolutely phenomenal in what he's done in in terms of what he did at, at for Bournemouth, for one. You know, it was a real shame that they ended up parting ways when they got relegated. Um, they couldn't come to their agreement in the contracts or whatever it was. And I think he made the right choice for him. Obviously, with what's happened, you know, he kept his stature as a manager, and he, he's gone into a. Uh, gone into a bigger club with a bit more finance behind it and he's proven what he can achieve. Bit. Richest what? club in the world, mate. There's a yeah. little bit more finance. But you still... And and I think maybe that those two points are linked, aren't they? £350 million in the January transfer window and Chelsea fans still want to get rid of Potter. Whereas, <clears throat> although Eddie's probably got the biggest treasure chest in world football right now, He's actually being very shrewd with the kind of players he's bringing in. People like Chris Wood coming into the fold, for example. He's, I know it's probably not the best example, but Anthony Gordon. Like, I know he had a bit of a dreadful game for them a, a couple of weeks ago, but you know Eddie's going to be facing Manchester United at Wembley on Sunday at the time of recording. You know he's he's got he's in a cup final with Newcastle for the first time in a long time. They have a genuine shout at Champions League football next season. And there's a manager that's absolutely loving life at the top of the game. And you you probably couldn't think of many other jobs right now that you'd rather... If you're a football fan, who on earth would not want Eddie Howe's job where he is now, for example? I'm not sure they want his job. I just think they'd want to be him. Well, yeah, but yeah. you know what I mean. That's Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I meant. 
exactly and you know there is that thing but as soon as Newcastle have a bad season say next year they turn it around they have a bad season the fans will turn that's the mm. way it works and no one remembers what happened the year before no one sits there and goes oh, I did great for us this season I think Eddie Howe's a little bit of an exception because he you know I think that they're doing the right thing they're not going after big names they could do they could bring in a big name and I think that in a lot of cases like Ronaldo at um, United it causes that a lot was of... more of a romantic thing, wasn't it? In yeah, terms of full I think it, I think it was a financial thing to sell a load of shirts. Honestly, probably but, yeah. Um, like you said, it was a, a historic bringing back to United, giving the old number seven shirt. We'll sell bloody loads of them, make our money back within a year, well, probably within a few months of him playing, and then the rest of it, we've got some experience, and he might be good for the squad, which turned out he wasn't in the end. But they they haven't gone after those kind of players. They haven't gone after those big names. They're not dragging. You know, a big name into the club that upsets the rhythm of it. They're they're playing as a team, which is what I'm saying we need to do. You know, we we need someone who gels them together, and I think that's what Eddie Howe does so well, and that's why he has been successful. I think that's what Poch does so well, and why he's been successful with, you know, his appointment at our former rivals when he did very well from there, unfortunately, and then he went on to Tottenham, and I think he was very successful at Tottenham as well. So it's it's interesting isn't it like you said i think that there's positions and times where you think oh, i wouldn't want nothing better to be a manager like i think ranieri probably felt that when he was at leicester um but then look what happened the following year you know it, it's so quick to turn in football and i think that fans uh, are very loyal to the shirt um but not so loyal to the people and i think that we should probably look at it from a, a more of a loyal perspective to to our team and and you know, go right. We we followed this team for the last twenty years, up and down the country, all over the place. Now we've got a new manager in place. Let's give him our support. Let's give him some respect. Let's let's get behind the team, get behind the players, and, and push him forward in a positive way. Not just turn on them as soon as we lose. You know, one nil at home, or 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 two one loss, or we don't get that winner in the last few minutes. You know, should we chat about referees because we're. Love- we're probably a, a week or so late having this discussion. Recording constraints have meant that we couldn't quite squeeze it into last week's Danny Cowley Derby episode. But we've set aside some time tonight to get stuck right into this topic, which I think is actually a really important one. And we're, we're going to discuss abuse of referees in football, not only the lower league stuff, not only the stuff at, at our level, but also the kind of the, the, the implications of it right up at the top of the game and also grassroots as well. And and before we delve into slagging off referees, et cetera, et cetera, because they, they play an important and a focal part of the game and you wouldn't have a football match without a referee. I want to give a lot of credit to Tim Robinson, who was the referee at the Burton Albion game at Fratton Park last Tuesday. At the time of recording, it will probably be coming up to two weeks since uh, by the time you're listening to this. It was excellent. He, he let the game flow. He let Pompey do what they wanted to do. He, he let us breathe a little bit. He let us play some football. He clamped down on any time wasting. He, he didn't take any rubbish from any other players, Pompey or Burton. Uh, he gave us a really good game, allowed enough time on for us to score the equaliser as a result of the time wasting. And I thought we did really well. The flip side of that, of course, is you then look at the discussion that we were having a couple of weeks ago about the referee we had for the Barnsley game, a guy called Andy Woolmer, who not only blew up for a clear Barnsley goal that should have stood for, we should have played an advantage, but, you know, his foul detection was all over the place. He was giving fouls for challenges that weren't fouls and giving no foul for a challenge that really should have ought to have been and, and even some yellow cards in some cases. I think, the frustration is born out of the inconsistency of of referees making mistakes. 
the reason for abuse and it's been highlighted uh, across the press and uh, I think it's actually born out of the the VAR controversies a couple of weeks ago where John Brooks and Lee Mason who's actually since resigned from the PGMOL in the last week or so didn't draw the lines properly or forgot to draw the lines in a certain place for VAR and as a result you know the whole referee argument gets blown up out of proportion and it transfers over to grassroots football on a Sunday morning and in um you know, men's Sunday league or, you know, where your kids play or, or whatever it is, or the local park. Um, the issue is that refereeing mistakes are so, so obvious when they're made. It is absolutely untrue. Like you, you watch the Pompey boys, the 11 players in a Pompey shirt week in, week out. Ryan Tunnicliffe, Marlon, Marlon Pack hit one from outside the box and it goes blazing over the bar into the north stand or into the Milton end or Fratton end. That's a mistake that the player's made and that's when he's not quite got his time, his, not quite got their timing right. With a referee, it will be not giving a foul or not seeing something or giving a throw in when it should have been a corner or a goal kick when it should have been a corner. And the, the fact that referees make these mistakes and they're human beings irritates you obviously because it's like well you know we're here to play football we shouldn't have to be dealing with you making these mistakes bloody bloody better the fact of the matter is they are human beings abuse towards officials is not going to improve their performance overall all it's going to do is just reduce them to absolutely nothing and as a result you're going to get a worse refereeing service overall if you if you lay into someone for making mistakes if it happened at work and, you know, me or Ollie did something at work because, as it happens, we do tend to do a little bit of work together in every now and again. If Ollie just started to absolutely slate me and, oh, you should have done this, oh, that's absolutely dreadful, starts effing and blinding all over the place, then it, that's not exactly going to inspire me. It's not, not exactly, oh, that was loud. It's not exactly going to inspire me to want to go and do my job better and rectify that mistake. All it's going to do is make me feel absolutely dreadful. I know you have five, five aside on a Monday and you have referees. You well. mentioned to me. Yeah. You mentioned <laughs> yeah. to me sometimes that they're pretty dreadful. What do you think needs to be done about this issue? It's obviously systemic and it's something that they're obviously desperately at the FA and the, the various different organizations are trying to stamp out of football. It's something that's difficult because people are so impassionedly, connected to their team and want their team to do well and if a referee gets in the way then that's absolutely disastrous for them what what needs to be done for you i think there needs to be more respect personally i think there needs to be more respect towards referees um you look at it in i think the premier league is probably one of the worst for it and i hate it you know i i hate it when the ref makes a decision and all of a sudden four or five players from the the opposite team are surrounding him and getting in his ear and being like all Italian about it with their hands and finger gestures and, and getting all in their faces and not any disrespect to Italians just that's T typically a, Italian we'll typically say Italian. typically um I just think I just don't like it I, I think that it's disrespectful there's no need for it and all they're doing is playing a game of gamesmanship and I hate gamesmanship. I think gamesmanship is a horrible thing. Um, it's it's not sportsmanship and that's what it should be. We should be looking at it as a sports people, um, setting an example. And I think the problem is, is that you see it a lot in, uh, especially European football, um, a lot of simulation, a lot of diving, a lot of these kind of things. And I think that kind of transpires into 
getting in the ref's ear and trying to sway the decision in your way. I was kind of hopeful that VAR would get rid of a lot of that um, because it makes you a lot more accountable. It makes the players a lot more accountable for what they're doing as well. But it, it doesn't seem to have happened, you know. But the thing that's so frustrating is you don't get it in rugby. You know, mm. rugby, you've got the biggest blokes in the world on the pitch. And I know a lot of rugby players that are very rowdy and loud and loutish. But as soon as they're on a rugby pitch and that ref tells you what he's doing, regardless if you agree with it or not, you just get on. That is the decision. There isn't a question. There isn't a, why is that the case, ref? That's a load of bollocks, blah, 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 or even worse words in a lot of cases. Um, and I think that we need to bring that into our game a little bit. We need that bit, that better level of respect. And I think that, you know, ironically, you know, I've said it to you a few times, I think that I play Mondays and, and Thursdays at a, like a grassroots level, like you said, you know, um, just games of seven aside that organise teams. And we, you know, we, we have a good game of football and we're a very fair side. And I think in a lot of cases, the refs actually get in the way. Well, I always think sometimes the game would be better without a ref because, well, if you take the ref out of the situation, players don't have anyone to moan at. And mm -hmm. then typically they call a fairer game. And that's the irony behind it. Or you've got someone there to manage the game. But when you've got someone there, you've got someone who's accountable for decisions that are made. And therefore you start to argue with them or try and sway their opinion into your favour because you want to win. And I don't think that's right. Uh, you know, I really hope that the VAR systems that's in place gets gets used properly. Because like you said, that the, the the decision that was made, I think it was the Arsenal game where the decision you were talking about, they took like three and a half minutes to, to draw a line for an offside and they couldn't figure out whether he was offside or not. And then by that point, uh, they let a goal stand that couldn't shouldn't have stood because the actual second phase of it, there was a player offside who scored the goal. They panicked, they, didn't they, and tried to make a quick decision and not yeah, waste time. No, exactly. And, and this is the problem is it takes too long to come to that decision in the first place. Um, and then the fans look at it from a perspective of, oh, it's refs messing up again. And that's how they see it. And then it almost encourages the behaviour of people to go, oh, the ref, the reader, uh -uh, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and, you know, we, we, like you said, we're very quick to judge a line for putting his flag up. Whether you know, We see it at Fratton Park week in, week out. And I, I like to, when I sit and watch football, I like to try and think quite fairly about a game. You know, if it's a if it's a foul and we've committed a foul, I'll open up and go, yep, yeah, that was a foul. Uh, if it was offside and I think it's offside, I go, yeah, I think he was offside in that Equally, moment. Equally, when they don't give a penalty for Pompey, quite often I turn to you or people around me and go, that's not a penalty, he's made the right call there. Whereas yeah. everyone else around you just go, referee, that's so cool, have you not seen that? And it's like, well, he hasn't seen it because there's nothing to give there. It's, it's, yeah, and and as well as uh, that, you're, you're sat in a crowd of 20,000 people probably five times the distance away from that ball that mm. the ref is at that point. That's not to say they're making the correct decision no, no. all the time, no. of course. And it's very easy to look objectively from a distance and, and make a decision in hindsight and all those kind of things. I just think that we, we really need to emphasise in the, the upper levels of the game that disrespect towards a referee and official isn't right. Because um, it sets an example. It, it sets an example, but also sets a tone. You know, as soon as you, as soon as one team gets in the refs ear, so will the other team, and then all mm. you end up doing is rattling each other's cages for a game, and it becomes a very ugly game of football. And the ref loses control completely as well, which is exactly. another thing. Yeah, and you know, we we see it. The referees need to make decisions and stick by them. And whether they're the wrong decisions or not, the players need to just accept that and move on. The issue is, is that 
because there's such an influence now from the referee on a game that players are almost told. I, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I imagine they probably are almost told to to make a fuss and get in the ref's ear and, and, and act in a certain way because it gets a decision in the way they want it to be. And it's a shame that's what football's come to because I don't think it needs to, to be like that. And I would like to see the game played as a much more sportsman level. There'd be a lot more respect towards the referee. And I think that as a consequence of that, the decisions that are made would be more accurate and then we wouldn't have so many problems. Uh, and that would feed all the way down through football, like you said, to the grassroots. So, uh, kids are very impressionable. You know, when you're eight or nine, you see someone rolling around like Neymar on TV and you want to aspire to be him. All of a sudden you fall over and you start rolling around as well. You know, it's um, it's a shame that that's what football's come to. But that's, that is how it is. It needs to change. There we go. You've had a, a bumper special tonight of uh, the Four Winner Written All Over It podcast. We're uh, approaching 50 minutes, so a, a very big thank you to you for sticking around right to the end. We actually have a really good audience retention on this. I had a little look. I found a graph while I was stumbling through the stats, and people do quite often listen right to this point. So thank you for still being here. Uh, it's been great to to be chatting with you, Ollie. Thank you for I'm about to sneeze. Hold on. Oh. Oh, there we go. There was the sneeze. Good time to stop talking because that could have been awkward. Thank you for joining us once again. If there's anything that you'd like covering uh, next week, I think referees is obviously something that's not particularly exciting to talk about, but it's an important conversation nonetheless. I really enjoyed our chat about managers. Of course, we cover Pompey at length as we have done. We'll have a couple of games to talk to you about. By the time we come back, we'll have had back-to-back Fratton Park home games to chat you through Cheltenham and Bolton will have happened the time next Thursday evening slash Friday for you listening rolls around we're excited to be talking about those anything else I think that's it isn't it I would just like to say thanks to everyone and as well as that if you have any opinions on on managers and referees and bits like that but you know send us a message drop us a comment we're always interested to hear what the people that listen to this um, have as an opinion as well it helps us obviously understand our audience but it also helps us see you know that the other points of view that are out there so if you do have any comments or, or feedback you know please drop us a message and, and let us know but thank you for for listening and sticking around like we said we we very much uh, appreciate your support and as always play up pompey